Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Resilient Health Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Darren Ingalls. And joining me on the podcast today is, I think, one of the most fascinating people I think I've met in recent months. Uh, her name is Dr. Romy Mushtaq. She is a board-certified neurologist, award-winning wellness speaker. She's the founder of BrainShift, which is, we'll talk a little bit about that today. She brings over 20 years of you know, clinical experience in neurology, integrative medicine, and mindfulness. And she is the author of the upcoming book, the Busy Brain Cure. So Dr. Romy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, Dr. Ingalls, it's it's wonderful to be here with you. I so love getting to know you and your work, which I've been following for years. And to sit here with you, colleague to colleague, and share this message. And really, I thank your listeners. I don't take anybody's time in today's world for granted. And thank you for lending us your ears in these next few minutes as Darren and I chat. You know, you gave a TED Talk about nine years ago on... <laughs> You know, when I watched it, it really hit home for me, you know, being, you know, in the same medical yeah. world, yeah. you know, you talk a lot about being a burnt out physician. And uh, I almost cried when I watched it because it just it resonated so much, just kind of how I was feeling at the time. You know, I think a lot of, again, you know, you talk about it in the framework because we're doctors, but, you know, really this goes beyond our world, right? This is about Completely. people out in the world that are overstimulated overworked, over-traumatized. Yes, please. You know, as your book suggests, you know, this busy brain, you know, gosh, I know there's so many things we can talk about today, but where do we start? Here's where I'm going to start is that TED talk uh, you're referring to, and we can put a, a link in your show notes. It, it went viral at a time where I only thought viral had to do with infectious diseases, right? And <laughs> why? Um, I'll tell you as a colleague, I don't know if you've ever felt this. I always felt that I was five to 10 years too early in every room I've ever arrived. It was one of the first TED Talks out there discussing out loud the words burnout. And I'm a professional with a mental health issue. And mindfulness helped me after having life-saving surgery. And why that's so important today is because back then nobody was talking about it. And I was still seeing patients in the integrative medicine clinic here and Orlando and companies started to call because, hey, what is this idea about mindfulness and meditation in the workplace? The pendulum now swings to today. People may be rolling their eyes at you or in my conversation going cynically, who isn't burned out? Who isn't chronically stressed? Romy, why did you write this book? Why is it different than all the other stress management stuff out there? And I'll say other than the science, which I know you and I'll have a good time digging into, I'm here today because Darren, you felt it in my talk, is I remember those days. I loved my job as a neurologist. I loved the research I was doing for women in epilepsy. I felt so alone. And I was enveloped in this dark shame thinking I had failed myself. I had failed my parents. I had failed all women in medicine. And do you know not a single colleague asked if I was okay? You could visibly tell that I was having a hard time at work before I left to have surgery. People were gossiping because the nurses and the EEG techs would tell me. And I just remember what it's like to be in that dark place alone. And so even today, where the burnout numbers are astronomical in every sector, I think I want to be here. And I wrote this book for you. If you're feeling alone or if you're a leader and you're like, I, I know I have loved ones or colleagues at work that are facing this. And that's why I think this particular book and the science and the stories that are in it, I hope will help shed some light in that place of darkness. 
You know, this word mindfulness, I want to explore that a little bit because I mm -hmm. think people hear this, they think of some new age Sitting, <laughs> you know, chanting, and <laughs> it's yeah. a little bit. Deep. And it can be that if you want, it, right? It no judgment. Um, and or it can be the annoying reminder that comes up on your Apple iWatch that says, "Take a mindful minute and pause and breathe." And you just beat the watch down and you go back to your Zoom meeting, right? <laughs> you know, I remember when I got an Apple Watch. Uh, uh, I don't wear it anymore because I, I don't like to have EMF stuff on me. But mm -hmm. when the first Same. came out, it would give you a little reminder to stand up, right? And so I had a little boy in my practice who has autism and my little, you know, thing chimes and he asks, you know, what's that? And I said, oh, my watch is telling me to stand up. And I continue on the conversation with the parent and he tugs at me. He's like, well, aren't you going to stand up? Oh, <laughs> I love that. He was like your Buddha in that moment, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think he had more awareness than I did at the time about, again, it's I, for me, I think mindfulness is really being present in the moment. I think we worry so much about our past. We worry so much about our future. It's very hard to be in the moment in your life, you know, having all the experiences that come with that. I mean, is that really kind of the core of what this is kind of all about? It's beyond that, the busy brain cure. So where this started was mindfulness was a path of many things, including finding integrative medicine doctors that people will read about in chapters one through nine of the book of me getting sick and the integrative holistic practices, including mindfulness that came along the way. So it starts there with mindfulness being a practice of present-centered awareness without judgment and regulating emotions. And as I started the professional speaking circuit in 2015, 16, 17, teaching people to meditate, the magic was happening outside in the hallways after I gave the keynote address. People were like, I, I tried your meditation. I, I tried this, Dr. Romy, and I can't shut down my brain. And I started to hear these symptoms, Dr. Ingalls, that people were telling. And I was like, aha, I used to have those symptoms that you wake up and you have no energy unless you caffeinate. And it's not just a cup of coffee. It's like energy drinks. And you're having difficulty focusing all day. And as you're listening to this podcast, you have multiple browser windows and screens open in front of you and in your brain too. And you get stuck in this anxious analysis. So you keep chugging caffeine and you have this low-level anxiety to panic. And now you heard this podcast and you're like, I'm going to stand on self-care and go home and sleep. And you're wired and you're tired and you can't shut your brain off. And people try to meditate and there's 72 warring conversations going on in their head and they think they failed med meditation. And there was this aha moment of there's something deeper going on and we need to get to this root cause. And that's where the research for the Busy Brain Cure started in about 2017, 18. When I realized mindfulness is critical, yes, but when we're under chronic stress and on the path to burnout, we need to get to the root cause. Well, let's talk about some of the research. You know, as you're writing your book, I'm sure you've read probably hundreds, if not thousands of studies. God, yes. You, you talk about some of the, the highlights that you came across that I think are going to be really relevant to listeners today. No, I think there's most important thing. Let's talk about the science behind the busy brain. And I'll bluntly tell this because I know you have both clinicians that listen and um, people that have been a part of your practice and other patients with Lyme disease. So what we know is busy brain is a term that I coined for a particular pattern of neuroinflammation in the brain that happens when we're 
having chronic unchecked stress. You've tried meditation. You've tried a vegan diet or the whole 30. Something is still off with those symptoms. And what's actually happening is it's beyond that old acute stress model we were preaching about in the pandemic. Our brains are at capacity right now with everything going on in our lives and in our brains. And so now beyond the limbic system, the inflammation is also in the hypothalamus and the SCN nucleus disrupting your entire circadian rhythm. And that's the nidus of it all. And people hear that and they're like, oh, your sleep-wake cycle, but that's only a small part of it. Your circadian rhythm modulates the entire biological functioning, the 24-hour clock of every system in your body, organs, hormones, immune system, etc. And that's why this is so important. And then as we dig further, it was this idea of the busy brain, this needing to be stimulated all day and sedated at night. We're on an addictive pattern of being on stimulants during the day, caffeine or Ritalin or Adderall, and then needing a sedative like alcohol or a prescription Xanax or sleeping pill at night. And so what could we do to break it? And that was where the research started was, okay, here's the neuroinflammation. Adult onset ADD is real and it gets coupled with anxiety during the day and is throwing all systems in mess. So that is like a high level, really fast paragraph. You may need to rewind these last three minutes, but that is like the highlight of the science between chapters two and five of the book. Yeah, I feel like we live in a world where this is almost unavoidable, right? Because mm-hmm. your job, it's your I home. don't believe that. I don't believe that. That's why you have me here. My whole paradigm is, can you help me as a colleague change the paradigm where we can achieve success without stressing out? And I'm not naive. You and I, prior to starting this podcast, it was having a vulnerable moment with you. We're recording this podcast exactly one month prior to my global book launch. And I'm feeling stressed, but I know this is a 30-day push. And I, I know I can succeed without burning out. That is the difference. And that's what I teach. This book was written for high-achieving professionals. That's who all I work with. Doctors, lawyers, executives, teachers, journalists, airline pilots. I want you to succeed, but not burn your brain and your spirit out. So when people are feeling at that state where I'm feeling burned out and whatever I'm doing, you know, I think people like to have those steps that they can start, mm-hmm. you know, taking because yeah. sometimes I think people who feel so overwhelmed, you know, okay. they hear, I, I should do this, I should do that kind yeah. of, you know, what's, what's the most basic thing that anybody can do that mm-hmm. isn't break the piggy bank. <laughs> Agreed. Again, I, I think you talk about this again in your TED talk, you know, is just breathe, breathe. Well, yes, but when that deep, when, well, here, here was where the cure came from, Dr. Ingalls, was when berries and breathing fail, what do you do next? Okay. <laughs> I ate berries. I, I, I did the deep breathing. I still got a busy brain. And my job was to look up the cure. And so we had 17,000 people take the busy brain test. And it gave me an insight into the patterns of what was going on. Then I had to say, what is the root cause? Let's research it and let's test it. We came up with the eight-week plan that's based on brain shifts or microhabits that stack upon one of each other. And we tested it in a thousand executives and we were tweaking it as we went. And so step one, 
go straight to chapter 10. If you're listening to this podcast going, oh my God, Romy, I got to start now. I agree. Go to chapter 10 and you can also go to the show notes here or for free on my website or social media, take the busy brain test and get your brain score. That's the first thing, right? Is let's put a number to it. So we're not saying general statements like everybody's stressed in the world. It's just the world we live in today, right? I want to know what your number is. You may be pleasantly surprised. You may be shocked. No judgment. I practice mindfulness, but I'm here depending on your number with a solution. So that's step one. And then step two is, oh, the evil triplet cousins are going to arrive in your brain. They all arrive in my brain as the voice of my judgmental aunties, resistance, projection, and denial. And I'm going to ask you to face that and really think through, hmm. My chronic stress and busy brain has given me what symptoms in my brain and my mood and my physical body? What do I want to see feel better at the end of eight weeks? So if you say, I want my brain fog to feel better, I want my bloating and my gut to feel better, that's what you're going to be tracking. So that's step one. Is let, Let's just do the assessment. That's the hardest part, by the way, isn't it, for your patients? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, coming to terms and uh, like I, I, the word used was denial, accepting mm-hmm. that I have an issue that maybe I'm not functioning at the most optimal level I could be. And granted, you know, I work with a generally very ill population of yeah. people yeah. Uh, who have been kind of beat up by the medical system for a long time. That's and, nice. you know, it's a, it's a big mental hurdle for people to get over, or it can be. It is. It but, is. and I think the beauty of being human, right, is that it yeah. is we can overcome. Yeah. And that was the thing I learned when I was still seeing patients one-to-one in the integrative medicine practice, the Uh, founder of the practice like you was taking care of uh, chronic Lyme disease patients, complex autoimmune disease patients. The hormone doctor in the practice also had people that had been chewed up by the medical system and they were, quote, coming to me, doctor, I've done everything right. I'm on this functional medicine strict protocol for my nutrition. I'm doing these hormones and I still have a busy brain. And I didn't have the term busy brain back then, but I was testing a lot of these things that are in the, the medical literature and getting to the root cause. And then I had to scale it as I was working with companies and teams. And then we went virtual in the pandemic. And that's where this came from. So for anybody listening that has a chronic disease and illness, like we both have compassion with you. I think we're here to say, you can't ignore the stress channels in your brain. And how can we help you brain shift from a busy brain to one of calm consciousness? Because that will help you heal your chronic disease. Well, you talked about the triplets there. What's the next (laughs) step after that? The next step is, so brain shift. The shift is an acronym for the various root causes of what's causing a busy brain. S, we've covered already, circadian rhythm or sleep. H is looking at hormones, specifically thyroid. I, markers of inflammation, including methylation disorders, vitamin D3. And F is how you use food to fuel yourself outgoing on a diet and T is technology. So the eight micro habits walk you through all of that. The next step in chapter 11, when you get your score is we put people through a seven day sleep challenge. It is micro habits or brain shifts that are based on cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia and um, some key supplements that have been studied very well in the literature. And we know if in seven to 10 days, I can get you into restorative sleep and kick the stimulant sedative cycle with natural holistic products and behaviors, half the battle is already won. People feel like a champion. The busy brain score typically immediately falls at about 25% by that time. That's great. So this is something people can keep going back to. Yeah. 
I'm telling you, re kind of rescore yourself and see yeah, I, how you're doing. Yeah, you live in your body every day. And I know sometimes change is subtle. It's like watching grass grow. And <laughs> having an objective marker like this, I do this a lot with my Lyme patients. Again, there's a questionnaire that Dr. Horowitz developed called the MSIDS, where it's really helpful to have people fill it out periodically because, again, day to day, it's like, yeah. I, I, I don't see this. You know, I think sometimes we just expect mm -hmm. this huge, a miraculous wake up moment where everything mm -hmm. just shines beautifully. And, and sometimes yeah. that happens, but more often it's a little bit more subtle than that. But, you know, it's interesting because people are like, oh, you know, you know, I don't know if I feel drastically different. And then we relook at the scores. Hey, mm -hmm. look, you know, you dropped your score by 10 points here. Exactly. The symptom that was nagging you is no yeah. longer there because I, yeah. I think for so many people, you know, our idea of health is when I am 100% perfect. And mm -hmm. if we get, you know, if we started at, you know, 10% function and we get to 40%, hey, you know, that's 30% higher, but we're still not 100%. So in our minds, until we cross that finish line of being perfect, I think sometimes we we dismiss a little bit about the improvement we have made. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that, you know, the body has a process in which it heals and sometimes mm -hmm. slower than others. But the fact that it does heal and it does happen, <coughs> excuse me, in a, in a very particular way, you know, appreciating when you do see even that small progress. Agreed. You know, the interesting thing is when we run, we, you know, prior to the book coming out, we were running this brain shift protocol with teams. And sometimes someone needs to see it from the outside. And if it isn't you, the doctor or the individual seeing it, it was, we would, we would say here that like the CEO or CHRO of a company was like, what's going on? Like people are just happier this week. People were productive. I had less complaints. Um, Somebody was angry two weeks ago about some issue at work and they're like, oh, forget it now. And they'd be like, yeah, we're doing this brain shift thing that it was there was a culture shift of, of more positivity when we just got people sleeping. And that was in the first 10 to 20 days of the program. And then people are feeling better. And then the second half or weeks four to eight of the program work on your daytime energy and, and biohacking your daytime energy modules. And so that we're getting to the root cause, we're looking for what's going on, if you need to treat a thyroid order or disorder or vitamin D3. And we also tell you how to use food as fuel without going on a diet. And that's key. Now, listen, that not, may not be true for a lot of your patients, Dr. Ingalls, and you're going to have to help me there because I know in our integrated functional medicine world, if you have a, a chronic autoimmune disease, you've probably had food sensitivities, you're on a protocol. But most people with a busy brain who are not dealing with that chronic Lyme, chronic autoimmune disease, I don't want to put them on a diet. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I don't think anyone nearly wants to go on a diet, but sometimes yeah. it becomes medically necessary because again, yeah. Yeah. you need to provide the right fuel mm -hmm. sources for what the mm -hmm. body requires to mm -hmm. repair tissue, to repair that neural That's inflammation great. as you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, you can do all the things in the world. My experience is that you can't outpace a really bad diet. You know, what it does okay. to your gut health, what it does yeah. to your Agreed. immune health, you know. So, so it's, I agree. And let me give you a different perspective. As a chief wellness officer of a company, as you read in your introduction, of over 7,000 employees, we have a global diverse workforce. As a chief wellness officer, belonging is really important. And I want to make sure the vegans, the paleo, the ketos, the carb lovers, the carnivores, the chocoholics, and the I'm confused what to eat 
can all sit at the same table and feel like they belong without judgment, right? The second issue is, is the food protocols in our integrative functional medicine communities tend to be very skewed towards a Western Caucasian bland diet. And absolutely true. As a Western Caucasian person, I can. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, what happens when, you know, I'm a firm believer that food is a love language and we have special foods that may be tied to religious holidays or national holidays or our state or country of origin or a family recipe. And that food, when we think about it, will bring back joy in our spirit from the memories of the people that are attached to it or or country of origin or whatever that may be. And now in the integrative functional medicine world, if you say that food is bad, we're actually creating trauma tracks in the brain and bringing guilt and shame and rewriting a memory. Like my, you'll, you'll read about Dr. Pritchard in chapter seven and how I got introduced to the concept of comfort food and how it put all of our chronically ill neurology patients on the neurology ward at ease to talk about comfort food and how that became my secret sauce to getting to know 7,000 employees, you know, who worked in hotels. And, And you can't take that away from people. And so what we did instead with the book was create biohacks that say at least once to twice a week, please eat the comfort food without guilt and shame. If it's a child's birthday party, if it's a religious holiday, go for it. There's a difference because once we get people sleeping in that seven-day sleep challenge, the stress eating stops. So you're like, I'm going to have a little bit of ice cream after dinner. You're not going to go in the middle of the day in the whole ice cream container because you're, you're feeling an emotion and you need to calm it down, right? That's the difference. And then the second thing people will see in week five of the protocol, we say you either choose a high glycemic food, white sugar, white rice, white flour, white potatoes or you choose caffeine, one or the other in that hour. And because the two combined together for brain health are actually really toxic, uh, you know, promoting insulin resistance uh, in the brain uh, for an entirely different reason. And we found that this worked for most people and the sugar craving stopped because then week six, the biohack is adding one to two servings of a healthy fat to every meal. So now We're allowing that I can eat some of my favorite South Asian or Eastern Asian foods. And Darren, you can eat the foods you grew up on, but we've given you a biohack of how to do it. And what was fascinating was everyone that went through the protocol, now they're sleeping. And then we've given them these biohacks. They were actually reducing belly bloating and dropping one to two pant sizes or dress sizes. And they were like, I didn't feel like I went on a diet. That was the magic. Of this book. <laughs> well, I know the book is just chock full of, you know, little, yes. uh, well, first of all, I mean, you've got a plan that, again, people can follow. You've got a questionnaire that people are going to start from the beginning, you're going to get an assessment, you're going to walk them through the steps to really kind of, you know, because they get that busy brain, less busy and kind of back on track. Again, functioning, you know, the way it's supposed to. I mean, again, you're a neurologist by training, you know, the brain better than anybody else. Yeah. And of course, now you've got I said all this clinical experience of applying this process mm-hmm. to, you know, thousands of individuals. So uh, I'm really excited to see the book come out in the next, you know, month. Uh, I know a lot of people listening are going to want to get a copy and check it out for themselves. And again, if it's not you, I'm sure it's uh, someone you know, you work yeah. with, you love, who you can see it from the outside. You can just see it on their face that they're struggling. 
Yeah. And uh, to know that, you know, that doesn't have to be the case. Um, yeah. I, I've had patients that have had to quit their jobs, that have had to. Oh, how devastating. They felt so overwhelmed. They didn't see a way out. They didn't see that yeah. there was the possibility yeah. of maybe helping their brain away and staying in that job. Or maybe there was another way to tailor it in a way that worked better for their body. But uh, I think, again, you know, when I hear about a book like this, it's a book of hope, right? It's a book. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Showing that you know, there is a way to manage this. There and, is. Um, and I hope you'll read the transformational stories of different uh, executives who were kind and brave and said, share my name and share my story if it's going to help someone else. And with every micro habit they shared, how the micro habit impacted their life. And, and that's the biggest difference. You know, the stories in the beginning, you'll hear when Romy herself, when I was going through this whole process, I had a busy brain. I had the judgmental internal voices of, you know, the inner critic and judgment, which is the voices of my aunties. And that as I brain shifted and healed, that internal voices of aunties turned into wisdom and hope. And that's how I end every one of my lectures is asking people, like, what do you hope for, for your brain and your body and your team? Too often in the cynical world, we write off the word hope or we hope for something maybe for our children or, or families or pets, but we don't think about ourselves. And I think the last thing I could leave that word of wisdom with, with any of your audience is what do you hope for? And you'll read the power of having hope holders in your life. And that's truly healing a busy brain and becoming mindful again and holding hope in your heart for yourself and for others. Well, folks, the busy brain cure drops January 9th. We're going to drop a link in that for the book. I also want to drop a link to your TED talk. I highly recommend that you listen to it. It's, you know, I think 14 minutes. And again, it's just a really fascinating and inspiring story. You share your own personal story. But again, I also like the message of hope around it and in helping cure the busy brain. So Dr. Romy, uh, such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. An honor to thank you for having me and all your listeners. And thank you for the work you're doing for uh, so many patients, thousands of them. I, I appreciate you. All right. Thank you.